Good morning. That that was really great. I have to admit, I'm slightly disappointed, uh, Doug. I thought you were going to do a presentation, and for a moment there, but that was good. Thank you. It's great to see you all, and uh, good morning, one and all. The uh, so there's a there's a timer that I'm going to keep my eye on, but I can't see it. There we go. All right, excellent. Um, so I was a adolescent in the uh, 80s and in the early part of the 90s. And um, at 6.30 on weeknights, traveling, you know, at the speed of whatever, uh, TV broadcast through the waves, Dr. Huxtable came to my house uh, 6.30 every weeknight after the local news from the uh, CBS station in Topeka, about 45 minutes from where I grew up. Uh, we had one channel that we could get on the television, and that was it. Um, I loved Dr. Huxtable and his family, and uh, I looked forward to it every night. And I got a lot of enjoyment from it. Bill Cosby, if you don't know Dr. Huxtable, Bill Cosby was the uh, actor that portrayed Dr. Huxtable. And uh, Bill Cosby, as a result of that show and a lot of other things he did, was uh, kind of tagged as America's dad. And I thought that this was a... Um, very appropriate and good fitting title for him uh, based upon what was demonstrated in his show uh, and the other productions that he did, his, his comedy routines. I can still picture the album cover. I don't know why we had it. Uh, my, my family was not one to sit around and listen to Bill Cosby comedy routines, but we had the album cover of Bill Cosby on the front cover doing stand-up. Bill Cosby went from being America's dad this uh, very like prestigious sort of uh, esteemed position in popular culture to, you know, a serial abuser who at the twilight of his years is, is sitting in prison. Um, I, I saw just recently, this is why, why this is on my mind, he uh, was denied parole to get out of prison. So um, what a fall, right, from, from grace, if you will. From America's dad, again, to a serial abuser. In the eyes of first century Judaism, this is exactly kind of the sort of situation that happened with Paul, the Apostle Paul. He went from this esteemed member, learned, diligent, disciplined, to... He was a member of the Sanhedrin, and then he fell and become, became known as the Apostle to the Gentiles. In the Jewish mindset and the power structure of the Jewish culture, that was a fall from grace. Something similar to what happens, I think, when we think about someone like Bill Cosby and how people viewed him with such esteem one day, and the next day with such disdain. 
what was really a sticking point for some of the Jewish leaders was that Paul preached and taught and stressed that their God, the God of Israel, the God of their fathers, his plan included the Gentiles. And that was just something that they could not accept. And they could not grasp it. They could not fathom it. It was hard for them because of their history. Um, They had been suffering under a lot of various persecutions from a lot of various types of cultures. They had gone in and out of wars over the centuries. They were almost continually occupied and dispersed by foreign powers. And so there was all of these purifying sort of movements in Judaism of the day to to be a, a pure sort of culture that upheld and emphasized their uniqueness as God's chosen people. And so there was this intense enmeshing of this nationalistic sort of fervor with the uh, religious component that defined their existence. It's probably hard for us to relate to that. So Paul comes preaching and demonstrating that God's inclusion of the Gentiles into his kingdom was a real thing, and it makes uh, Jewish heads just explode. But... Paul's gospel message also was directed towards and was supposed to include the Jewish people. And that message that Paul gave to them from God, I believe, was as accommodating as possible. It it met them, it was meant to meet them where they were. It was a full demonstration of God's mercy and his grace to these people in this culture. And so as we go on, here's kind of the uh, sort of main idea that I'm going to try to uh, emphasize. I think this is at least one of the main ideas that our text today is getting at, and that is from the book of Acts as we continue our journey through the book of Acts in chapter 21. That main idea is that God's mercy is evident in the way the gospel bends to accommodate the needs of those needing the gospel. So again, God's mercy is evident in the way the gospel bends to accommodate the needs of those needing the gospel. In our passage today, that primary uh, audience towards whom it is bent, the gospel message to accommodate, is the Jewish audience. So with that, uh, let me pray before we we go, and we'll um, continue on quickly. My time is ticking. Lord, we uh, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. As we stand here today, you have demonstrated to us, as you have done to people throughout history, that you are gracious and kind and merciful. So may you do that for us today. Amen.
Paul emphasized his Jewishness. Here's how the gospel message was bent to accommodate them. Paul emphasized, I'm not going to read the passage, so maybe you've already read it, or you can go read it later. Paul emphasized his Jewishness to them. He said, I am one of you. If the gospel is for me, and it is for me, he gives his testimony. He shares his experience about on the road to Damascus. If the gospel is for me, it is also for you. That, that's a, that's a, just an underpinning of his message to these people. You see this in, in verse 39, for instance, where he emphasizes and he brings out, he says, I am a Jewish man. I'm not, not just a man. I am a Jewish man. That's an intentional sort of deposit that he makes from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. He's, he's sort of saying, here's, here's a bit of my pedigree. I'm someone who, who you could respect if you would look and see what there is. I am Jewish, first and foremost. Verse 40, he addressed them in Aramaic. It's, it was kind of the, the spoken form of Hebrew of the day. Rather than Greek. He could have spoke Greek. He spoke Aramaic, the language of the Jewish people in common communication. He used Jewish form of communication as opposed to the accepted Roman Greco form of communication, the Greek language. In verse 22, uh, one of chapter 22, he emphasizes this, brothers and fathers. He's respecting them. He's identifying with them also. I am one of you. You are my family. We are part of, we are all sons of Abraham here. I find myself in that lineage just as you do, Jewish brothers and fathers. It's a term of endearment. I'm one from among you. In verse 12, he talks about uh, his experience again on the road to Damascus where the Lord appeared to him and he was blinded for a while and then said, go find this man named Ananias. And he emphasizes in his testimony here, Ananias was devout to the law. The Jewish law, the Jewish customs, and he had a good reputation among the Jews. So God sent me to this man to give me guidance and to give me help. And he was respected among you. He had a good reputation among our people. And then he uh, refers to himself, uh, I think Ananias referred to him as Brother Saul. Again, emphasizing that sort of familial I am one of you, you are one of me. The God of our ancestors has appointed you. So this respected man named Ananias is giving validation to Paul. And Paul is recounting this. Ananias accepted me. He accepted the situation that I was coming as one sent by God himself. And then in verse 3 and 5, he just emphasizes one more time, I am a Jew. So he repeats this Jewish heritage over and over and over. He's emphasizing his Jewishness to them. Again, I am one of you. If the gospel is for me, it, it is also for you. And again, I think, I think what's kind of under 
underneath and, and supporting this is the concept that, that God is accommodating the gospel message to these people in a way that they could receive it. So that's the first, that's the first thing. Paul emphasizes his Jewishness. The second thing, he speaks about the, the risen Lord Jesus Christ in his testimony, in his recounting of this Damascus Road experience. And he s- emphasizes the very Jewishness of Jesus the Messiah. The very Jewish Messiah. So I just want to read quickly in chapter 22, verses 6 through 10, where he does this. Again, this is Paul speaking, Luke's uh, transcription of what Paul's message was. As I was traveling and approaching Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I said, what should I do, Lord? The Lord told me, get up. And go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you have been assigned to do. So he's, he's articulating this specific message that the risen, risen Lord had for him. And he does it in such a way that I think it's likely we should assume that the hearers of Paul's audience, these Jew, very Jewish people, They would have recognized it as, um, it's this term we use called theophany, an appearance, a divine appearance, an appearance of the Lord. They would have recognized this as a theophany similar to this very long story Jewish tradition of situations where the divine God appeared to individuals. In scripture. So what I'm thinking of, so you, you have this emphasis here on this, this great light. Paul falls down to the ground. There's an audible sound, an audible voice that is heard. And similar characteristics to what happens multiple times with Abraham. If you go back and read through the stories of Abraham, this happens on multiple occasions. Similar sorts of things involving light, sound, falling to the ground uh, in these theophanies. Uh, happens to Moses, probably maybe the clearest example, the burning bush. You have all of those elements. You have the, the, the bush that's burning. Um, Saul, f- there, there's a statement about the ground being holy. Uh, he hears the voice. Uh, something similar is going on at Mount Sinai. So if you just think about the scene at Mount Sinai, again, you have all of those elements in place. But this happens uh, over and over and over. It happens also in, uh, which this is one I had forgot about until I started looking into it, Ezekiel. If you read uh, Ezekiel, uh, the first chapter of Ezekiel, you, you have these features taking place. So there's a well-known pattern, and people have written books about this to say this is like how divine appearance happened. It contained these features. And so these people in Paul's day that Paul was speaking to, I think they would have recognized this is, He's saying that 
God appeared to him like he appeared to our father Abraham, like he appeared to Moses, like he appeared to Ezekiel, like he appeared to others. So that, that's, that's one thing about Jesus being the very Jewish Messiah and appearing to Paul. The second thing is, I think the also would have recognized that this was a prophetic commissioning. He says uh, to Paul, go. Jesus says this, go because I will send you away to the Gentiles. I will send you to the Gentiles. I'm commissioning you to go and to preach the gospel to them, in other words. And this, too, is in the tradition of the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish storylines that God has engaged with his people on. Think about Isaiah. In Isaiah's um, writings in the book of Isaiah, you have the voice of the Lord. Who, who should I send? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And the word of the Lord said, go, say to these people. So you, you have this sort of similar themes being brought out to Paul that were brought out to Isaiah and his audience would have recognized that. Same thing with Jonah. Jonah, get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh. You have the same thing in Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you will go to everyone I send you to, and you will speak whatever I tell you. And it, there's, there's actually countless, probably not countless, there probably is a count, but there's a lot of these sort of prophetic commissioning um, situations that happen, and I think Paul's audience caught that. He said, you're telling us that this risen Jewish Messiah who claimed to be sent from God, our Father, is sending you. That's what you're telling us. That's what Paul is communicating. They would have just naturally conceived of that idea. They would have naturally conceived of the idea that there was a divine appearance that Paul experienced. And that would have been important to them. That would have been crucial for them. Why should we trust you? Oh, you're, you're saying you're one of us. Okay. You're also saying God our Father in a way appeared to you. And he sent his son to commission you. Okay, wow, that's really heavy. <laughs> really stop and think about that because it doesn't fit our, our mindset about this idea of the Christian sect or movement that's like seems to be diluting our customs and our laws and these things that we hold so valuable. So the Lord is accommodating, I think, through Paul, the gospel message to these people. I think we can say this is Paul's testimony here in, in chapter 21 on into chapter 22. It's a picture of divine grace on display. It's almost as if, like, through Paul, the, the believing the gospel for these people, you couldn't possibly make it any easier. He's, like, checking off all the boxes about what they need to hear in order to accept. Um, checking off all the boxes. He's speaking their language. He's one of them. He speaks according to their traditions. He touches on their deepest beliefs in terms that they understand, 
he argues for the truth of the things that they cared about. So I was trying to think of an analogy. So I thought, um, maybe imagine an orphan, like someone that grows up without a mother or father. Kind of for the first time, uh, maybe as a child, maybe as a teenager, maybe as an adult, uh, hearing the concept that God is a good parent. And maybe that would be something that they would just recoil against. No, there is no good parent. Or maybe that would be, I, I, I never had a parent. I need a good parent. And maybe that would enliven their heart, right? That, that sort of message. I, I think something similar here is going on with, with Paul's uh, message to the Jewish audience. And I just put down a couple of verses. I, I don't have time to read them. But Romans 8.15, this idea of God as parent. And it gets expressed in, 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 in fatherly ways, but also it gets expressed in motherly ways. It's, it's interesting. But um, Romans 8.15, John, uh, 1 John 1.31 and Isaiah 49.15, if you want to go see those. But Paul's testimony is meant to strike the heart of his Jewish brethren. But, but as you know, Jesus was a stumbling block, right? They couldn't all accept it. They, some of them did, a lot of them did not. So as natural people, we trip. We, us too, but them, but us too, we, we trip. We stumble over what Jesus claims to do. Uh, we reject him. Um, we and they, we, they, certainly we see them happen, doing this, they scoff. They project malice towards him. They, they, they express pride and arrogance and confidence in their systems, as do we. Um, we project confidence in our way of being, confidence in our traditions. But also, we have pains, we have sufferings, we have oppressions that keep us from accepting this message that Jesus is claims to be. But all of that somehow gets rolled up and sometimes for some people it just leads to denial and rejection of who Christ claims to be apart from God's mercy. But um, yeah, listen to this. John 3, 19. Thank you, Doug, for correcting me on that. Uh, I had the wrong passage and Doug has a good eye and he caught it. Uh, passage marked here. It's a different metaphor about this stumbling block, but it's the same principle. Jesus says, the light has come into the world and people live in the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Jesus was claiming to be the light of the world. And he was saying some people are going to be attracted to this. Some of us are attracted to this. On certain days, I'm attracted to this. On other days, I'm repelled by it. And some people are repelled by it their whole life. Some people are attracted by it. I, I, don't, I don't have all the answers, but that, that's, I think, what Jesus is saying. And it's similar to him saying, I'm a stumbling block. People will trip over me. They will fall down because they can't accept what, what I'm talking about. So uh, trying to um, bring it down to like, okay, so what? Here, here was my thought. We, we have to work hard if you're a follower of Christ. We have to work hard 
to contextualize the gospel. To reveal it, to speak of it, to communicate it in a way that helps explain, um, anticipates injections that, in a way that connects with things that are deep in people's hearts that, that we don't even know about. What we don't need to do is make the gospel more offensive than it tends to naturally be because Jesus claims things about himself and it sort of has to obliterate our pride and our natural arrogance. So it's already a little bit offensive. So we don't want to make it more offensive, right? But we have to recognize that the gospel, it does, it confronts human hearts. It challenges us. So there is this sort of natural offense that that Jesus possesses just in his claims of being who he was. And for the Jewish people, that was that through him, the Gentiles can come into the kingdom of God their father. And this helps explain why why Paul's audience freaks out uh, in verse 22. It says they listened up to this point. He got done with his testimony. And they, they listened so far up until he said, you know, Jesus said, go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And then it says, they raised their voices shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth. That's an idiom. Kill this guy. Kill him. Destroy him. What he just said, he went too far. We can't handle this. Kill this man. Paul's testimony, it had put him in the tradition of important people in Israel's history to whom God had appeared. It likened him to a prophet being sent by God to speak and to act as God's associate. Paul here is being portrayed ultimately as as a certified witness of Jesus. One who shares in the sufferings of Jesus. But but their response is to want to kill Paul. Their response is want to kill Jesus. But that's, I think that's in our heart sometimes too. Apart from God's grace. But that's not the whole story, right? So in verse 20 of chapter 21, I'm wrapping up here. Many Jews did believe, many thousands of Jews believed Paul's message. And through divine providence, Paul was protected. You get this underlying theme that's going on throughout the book of Acts. He's protected by the Jew, by, by, by the Roman leaders, by the Roman system, because he's a Roman citizen, and he's allowed to proclaim Jesus with immunity, basically, throughout the kingdom of the Roman Empire. And you and I, this is also part of the good news, you and I are here today because of Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. His testimony went out into the entire world, down through the history of the church. God's people carried it to this land, and here we are, and we're gathered here today, and we're worshiping and singing and listening and praying and reading has something to do with Paul's testimony and who Paul was. 
So through this beaten, humiliated, tattered man, who in the eyes of many was heading the wrong way in life, as a Christian, the apostle to the Gentiles, God's mercy and kindness has sought us out and has saved us and has made us insiders in God's eternal kingdom. And so as a prayer, I want to read this. It's from Ephesians chapter 2, first seven verses. So pray with me. Agree with it as you can. It says this, this is Paul speaking, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived. According to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out our, the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hello again. I'm actually supposed to be here now. All right, people will be bringing around the communion elements. I sincerely hope so. Thank you, Robin. <coughs> I'm going to read some verses uh, while that's happening. I encourage you to sit quietly, meditate uh, until all have been served, and then we'll take communion together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I received from the Lord what I also also delivered to you. That the Lord, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. us and rested on our lives and calling us to your purposes. Thank you for the, the sign and the seal uh, that this celebration of communion means to us and for your work in promising to preserve and sustain us. Amen.